Welcome to Africa and Us. I'm your host, Nathan Araya. On today's show, we have Director of Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship, Rediet Takesta. We held an Instagram Live conversation that surrounded the values of her amazing organization, why it's important to reconnect to Ethiopia through our own experiences, and the importance of the African diaspora to the development and understanding of Africa. This is Africa and Us. Thank everyone for tuning in uh, this evening, wherever you guys are at. I hope that y'all are having an amazing week. So uh, today, it's my honor and uh, to introduce a phenomenal woman by the name of Radiant Takesta. She has uh, created, and she's the, actually the founder uh, and director of an organization called Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship. And uh, the Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship is a program that is designed to promote leadership development, public service, and creative storytelling. Um, through training service, through training service in an organization in Ethiopia, peer-to-peer uh, -peer mentorship and storytelling, um, fellows will have an opportunity to increase their own cultural identity and uh, be a catalyst for growth and change in Ethiopia. As well as, uh, also it says, once in Ethiopia, fellows are uh, will participate in peer-to-peer -peer mentorship uh, to increase cultural identity and promote a knowledge uh, sharing opportunity. And lastly, fellows will be uh, encouraged to document their experience thoroughly through different mediums in order to define and redefine what it means to them to be an Ethiopian. So what I love about this organization is you guys are having such a great immersive experience within the country and you're telling a story uh, and kind of redefining a narrative that may exist. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so um, I, I definitely do love that aspect. And also to introduce Radiant and you know who she is, I'm just gonna kind of go through a bio really quick. So Radiant is a first-generation Ethiopian American uh, and founder of Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship. Uh, through learning the importance of forming identity as a diaspora through her own experiences, Radiant started EDF as a medium to build bridges between the educated diaspora and Ethiopia. Uh, Radiant has worked for social action organizations, including the Clinton Initiative. Uh, America Reads program, leading uh, education efforts through community partnerships in low-income areas. Uh, upon moving back to Ethiopia, um, she worked for World Vision Ethiopia as a journalist and then built the communication department at Salam Children's Village. Uh, Radiant uh, discovered her passion for social impact media while working as an international field producer, production coordinator for Girl Rising. And I think that was the time when we kind of met after you got done with that project. Um, most recently, she worked in Ethiopia and Uganda to complete an internship with, a, uh, with the renowned uh, Population Media Center. Uh, she received her uh, bachelor's in interpersonal and intercultural uh, communication at Arizona State University and her master's at, of communication management degree at University of Southern California. So okay. once again, thank you so much for being on the show. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's, it sounds better than it really is. I, <laughs> hanging, I like hanging out and making content. Honestly, that's literally what I like doing. So. Uh, you're amazing. <laughs> Own it. You, you're doing great work. So uh, thank you for doing this. So 
One thing that caught my eye, you know, when we first met was your background. And, you know, growing up as a diaspora, I grew up in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I was always surrounded around Ethiopians. That was kind of my experience uh, growing up. But mm -hmm. you grew up in Iowa. You now, did. I've never been to Iowa. I've never been, and I don't know if I'll ever go. Would love to visit. Whoa. I don't know. Whoa. I just, thought this was like what? a positive show. This is weird. No, okay. I mean, okay. the reality is I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know anyone in Iowa. I never met anyone from there. But uh, talk about a little bit about that experience, growing up in Iowa uh, as an Ethiopian. What was that like? Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of Midwest African diaspora can relate, which is like you grow up in Iowa or Minnesota now, anywhere like that, you tend to grow up with a lot of like 99 white people. Um, there was four Ethiopians in our town. It was my mom, my dad, my sister and I, and we were holding it down for the rest of y'all. So it was good. I mean, I think that, you know, the Midwest has, and I don't know if the Midwest is still the same way now, but the Midwest has a very collectivist culture. So my parents liked it. I mean, first of all, education is bomb there, or was, let me say what, right. um, which is like why our parents live here in the first place. And then it's like, you know, your neighbors told on you, just like your auntie would. Like if they saw me out past the streetlights going down, they'd call my mom and be like, oh, I saw Reddy out. <laughs> and if they're pretending it's like a conversation, but it's not, it's like to tell on me. Um, so I think that my parents can hang with that, right? So. It, it was collectivist in that sense, but it definitely was isolating in the, like, the sense of like my culture and being Ethiopian in any way, or African in, in general. Yeah. Were there any like disconnects since you didn't have any direct connections with Ethiopians growing up in Iowa? Um, yeah, we went to Minneapolis a lot. We actually, when we first came to America, nice. we moved to Minneapolis. So our whole family lives in Minneapolis. I still say I'm from like Minnesota because I learned English in Minnesota. So I have an accent like a Minnesota person. Um, and yeah, so there was connections to Minnesota. And we would like, I'm gonna date myself, but we would go and go to the airport and watch people land and they would smell like Ethiopia and look like Ethiopia and bring the presence of Ethiopia. Um, but that's like as close as I got to Ethiopia until college. Right. So until college, which is interesting. Um, yeah. So what happened in college? Were there um, more Ethiopians that you came encountered with? Or what was that experience like? Uh, no, my mom actually took us back. So my mom and just told my sister and I, she like wanted to go back and she wanted us to see it. So she saved up a ton of money. Shout out to Ethiopian moms, like any African mom, honestly. Yeah. She like started her own little bank account and saved yeah. up money. And she's like, you guys need to see where you're from. And so she took us back and she took us back in a way that like, I don't know if everybody is blessed in this way. Like she took us from the north where my dad is from to the west, to the east. And um, she's from like Wendeka and my dad's from Shere. And she took us to the south. And so we kind of got this like full on tourist slash family tourist thing. Um, and was that yeah. your first time? back since I was born. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I came when I was four. So like, yeah, that was my first time back. And I had my birthday there. Like I turned 20 when I was there. And we had like a birthday party in Gion Hotel, like park. It was crazy. Like my mom literally changed my life with just that trip. Um, so yeah, so then I figured out I was Ethiopian. I like landed and I'm like, what? Everyone looks like me. I'm, like things like smell like a bay and everyone knew how to say my name, like better than I could say my name. So like right. I used to, be called ready like growing up was ready 
because it's easy for people to say. And then when I got to college, it was still pretty much ready. And then I went to Ethiopia and I was like, no, my name is Radiate. And like, you better call me Radiate and say it with that little accent. And if you don't, um, and now I'm just trying to survive. So I'm like, ready, eight. Like, are you ready? <laughs> like, yeah. You I find already it out in the middle. Eight. I get yeah. you. Yeah. No, that's amazing. That, that's what changed. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So you know, you're kind of alluding, this kind of alludes to this next question about um, why is it so important to embrace your Ethiopian or just greater African uh, culture identity? Yeah, I mean, I. Yeah, I think this is for me, it's more personal, right? Like, I didn't understand who I fully was. And I still don't. I think identity is complex and it's ongoing. Right. But I think that we are at a place where um, we kind of just, like, have this privilege of, like, not maybe worrying about survival as much as our parents did when they came here. And we could, like, talk about mental health. And we can talk about things that are a little bit one step above or different, right, than just needing to survive. So I think it's extremely important that we're taught that we are from wherever we're from, right? So I don't even think it's only Ethiopians or Eritreans or Somalians. It's like generally all these like second culture kids or third culture kids, right? Where they have this like third culture that they're part of. Uh, it's just so important because it's powerful. And we, I don't know, I don't know if everyone feels this way, but it's like been something that we're not proud of for a really long time. And I think like now I'm like, thank God I am from somewhere else and I have all these other experiences and I have like another culture. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's definitely so, a privilege. Yeah. It's a huge privilege, honestly. I mean, there's two things to everything, right? But like, I can see it as a privilege, yeah. Right, so uh, what do you love most about the culture? What like gravitated towards like your interest towards the culture? What do you gotta embrace the most? What do you love about it? I wanna be basic and say food. I was talking to somebody about this today. We're talking about like African food in general. No shade to other African countries in the food. But we were like, maybe this is kind of biased, but we love Ethiopian food. You know, yeah, it's that's just... biased, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like all food. I'm really diplomatic because I run an organization. So <laughs> shout out to all the other African countries and their food that I haven't tasted. Please invite me. But yes, in Um So like. Yeah, I mean, beyond the food, honestly, I think, look, I think culture, if you want to just be real, because, like, this is live, and I don't know who's going to watch it afterwards, but hopefully not someone that's offended easily. But <laughs> if you want to be real, I think culture is, like, it's the things that, there's things that you love about our culture, and there are things that you just hate and that are really painful, and sometimes they're one and the same, you know? So, like, I love the community aspect. I love that, like, we're all like collectivists and like you know that you have a, a team of people behind you and honestly even Nate when we met we like totally headed off because like Helen introduced us and then we found out that our parents were actually friends from back in the day Do you yeah we did. we did and then my parents are like oh Araya and Jay of course we know Araya and then they like <laughs> went on about like all like my parents still talk about your parents and I'm yeah. like okay dude like I'm friends with him I don't know his parents like, <laughs> yeah. you know and that's happened to me multiple times like uh, where our parents just, there's just like so much rich history and like really integrated culture and um, a lot of support. Yeah. Uh, but like at the same time, those same people are all up in your business and they're asking you questions that you're like, take a step back, friend. Um, and they have their own opinions about what you should be doing with your life. So, you know, people are people. Does that make sense? It does. And that's an ongoing conversation. And this is not even within one of my questions, but. I think we should talk about that. 
like how do you talk to your parents about an unconventional career and passion that you want to pursue after all of the struggle that they went through and providing you opportunities to be a doctor or an engineer? Right. How do you handle that? Strange. Yeah. <laughs> you like you basically asked me like the immigrant golden question that's like worth a million dollars. I mean, it feels weird that I'm giving it away for free. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, how do you tell your parents that you're starting a nonprofit, right? Because you fundraise for money. Like, y'all, it's not a joke, right? This is not something that's like has me rolling in a BMW, you know? And I, I have another job. I work at an agency. We're all good. I'm eating, y'all. Yeah. Um, don't worry about me. But yeah, so I'm really lucky in the sense that I have forward. I have parents that are really supportive. So I, I mean, for me, that this EDF look kind of just happened out of a bunch of different ideas and really good people around us. And I called my parents and when we finally figured out what it was gonna be, we knew it was gonna be something, we just didn't know what it was gonna be. When we finally figured out what it was gonna be, I like called them and I like remember where I was and I said, what do you think if we start an organization? I said, we, cause it takes a family. I said, what do you think if we start an organization where we send young Ethiopian professionals, like millennials back to Ethiopia for some sort of service oriented opportunity? And and I was like, you know, just graduating grad school, trying to get like a nice job and do that thing. And my mom's like, baby, do it. I was like, what? And I kind of wanted her to say, don't do it. Cause I really didn't want to do it. So she's like, I'm like, what? And she's like, of course do it. <laughs> you know? And I was like, mm, maybe you should pray that it gets out of my heart. Cause I'm really not trying to do this. Like I'm trying to hustle, you know, and buy a house. Um, so I got really lucky is what I'm saying with like having parents that are basically like, if it's your purpose, you have to do it because you can never live fully if it's not, you're not walking in your purpose. Right. right. That's, I think that's different. Um, but I think at the end of the day, and I mean, and I see this in our fellows all the time, right? Cause some of them are quitting nice jobs to go to Ethiopia and get paid and bid. And honestly, like not as much as other people, and I see the kind of the push and pull from their families. And I think at the end of the day, it's like your parents want the best for you. They really do. It's just sometimes their their view of what's best for you and your view is different. Right. So it's like one, having patience. I think one of our fellows, she taught me this 100%. Like having patience for them to get on board with what you're doing and having really hard conversations right. um, and then continuing the conversation. So like not, not ignoring them. I know some of y'all are looking at your phone, thinking about your missed calls right now, but like not ignoring them, at least texting them, at least trying to communicate. Because at the end of the day, like you have shared goals, which is like your success right. and your happiness, you know? And success right. doesn't necessarily always mean being a doctor, engineer, architect, or a lawyer. Right. Which are like our usuals, right? Did I miss one? Nah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, so what, what inspired you to start EDF? You, you mentioned that, you know, you talked to your parents about this idea and you're expecting yeah. them to push back and they wanted to support it, but what was kind of like the motivational factor or it could have been a disconnect that you said that you wanted to meet a need? What, what, how did that come about? Yeah, I mean, the long and short of it. So the short of it is EDF started because I went to Ethiopia and I was supposed to go for like two months after college, a couple years after college, and then I stayed for a year. Like, I changed my ticket three times. I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm like, yeah, I spent more changing my ticket. This shows my inefficiency, honestly, but <laughs> more changing my ticket than buying the original ticket. 
Wow. So that was real and really dumb. Um, <laughs> so that happened. And then I came back to, and there wasn't like a lot of diaspora at that time. Like I wasn't friends with a bunch of diaspora. I was friends with a lot of local people. Like, I mean, she was my bridesmaid, like literally a lot of local people. Um, so it was kind of a lonely experience, but I feel like I was immersed in the culture in a different way. Um, and then I came back and went to grad school and I did a paper on like how diaspora helped development right like from a very big picture thing and apparently this is like a was a thing and i'm like oh okay this is like a thing right and i quit the paper because i was like this is hard because i was trying to work with the ethiopian government and usc and they don't like function at the same speed as you can imagine <laughs> so without throwing any shade let's just say <laughs> a little bit faster yeah. um you know and so i was like i'm trying to get an a I'm, I got to go, but I had already done all the research. So I'm like, it was in my head. Um, and then I met people like you and Ida Salomon of Abishale and Helen and, you know, so many people that had the similar experiences to me where we like went and it changed our lives in some way and we wanted more, but we didn't know what to do. And then I met even more people that wanted to go back, but had no parents there, or didn't have family there or didn't know how, didn't like it. It just sucked. Like they wanted to do something. They were willing to put their lives on hold to like go do something. And they just didn't know how. And there's only so many people I can connect to like my aunts and uncles. So I was like, okay, this is a thing. Um, so we sent out a survey. Me and Maseret sent out a survey. And it was so... Who is Maseret for people that don't Maseret know? Maseret is our program director. And we barely knew each other. If y'all want to start something, you want to sucker someone into it, basically just be friends with them and be like, can you help me with this little thing? And never <laughs> tell them that you have like a bigger vision. Yeah. So I was like, can you just like help me with this little thing? And we sent out a survey. I don't know if you remember this, but remember. we had like 387 people fill it out in three weeks. And what, it was on, what was the yeah. reason why you sent out that survey, though? Give people some background context on why that. Well, because we didn't know anything. I mean, like, I knew that I wanted to, like, go back, and I thought it was a thing. Everyone did within my circle, but, like, that's not real data. That's very, the small sample size, it's just us. I wanted to know if it was, like, a thing. Like, is this much bigger than me? Is this a bigger conversation? So, I mean, the survey, I mean, statistically, whatever. If you want to get into it, it's like, we sent it on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and it was 23 questions. And at the very end, it said, uh, here's your virtual hug. Like, we straight up didn't give y'all anything. <laughs> we didn't even think we were starting anything because we didn't know what we were doing. I'm like, I just need data to prove that this is a thing. Like, not even going back is a thing. I just want to know who we are, right? So, like, we ask questions from, like, how do you identify yourself? Like, you know what I mean? What are you? Like, do you say you're Ethiopian? Do you say you're a trend? Do you say you're Ethiopian or a trend? Do you, which was kind of taboo back then, like, even say that. And it was something like 70-something percent of us said we were two or more cultures. Like, we didn't identify, like, our parents as, like, I'm Ethiopian. Like, we said we were Ethiopian-American. Yeah. You know, even down to, like, I'm Oromo-American. I'm whatever. Right. It's just two or more. Like, we are not one thing. Right? Um, and then people said they would go back to Ethiopia. They knew more about Ethiopia than I thought. Um, then they were reading articles from, like, all different websites. It wasn't like CNN and BBC. It was like these websites I had never heard of. My parents had never heard of. My cousins that are like from Ethiopia had never heard of. That we were basically desiring a connection and having no outlet for it. And I would say like close to like really thirsting, not in that way, but like starving for this connection, you know. And that like kind of bummed me out. 
that I was seeing these like results and I was like, wow, this is like, this sucks that there's so many of us that are like trying to do something and disconnect it, you know? Um, So from there, I just like, I mean, basically we just talked to a bunch of people that already run programs and like Peace Corps, Birthright Israel, Indie Corps. I mean, people do this. It's like, yeah, it's like a profession and nonprofit. So we did a listening tour where we just asked them a bunch of questions. Like, what would you do differently? Had you started your organization now? Where was your biggest failure? What have you seen your success like? What, you know, those kind of things. Um, And then we wrote a concept paper and then we sent the concept paper to a bunch of people to rip it apart, which they did because we didn't know what we were doing. And then we we wrote it and we wrote it and then um, built a website and like launched basically. It's kind of random. When I think about it, it made sense. But like in the moment, we had no idea what we were doing. That's a whole lot of, you know, process that's very intricate and what i mean you start off with an issue of like okay you have these feelings of feeling wanting to connect and then you put out the survey and i remember when you put out the survey i was one of the recipients and got to my emails look at as well somebody's actually doing something that's concrete to find data and um yeah i thought that was phenomenal you just kind of just reaching out to your own circle of people that you know and getting that started and uh and then reaching out to other organizations that may have uh, certain uh, pieces of a blueprint that you can make your own. And mm-hmm. I think that's so important that for any dreamer or visionary that's kind of looking at this, that has an idea or a vision that they want to be able to tackle, your process of how you went about that and putting in the work to receive the data and understand that what you're dealing with is not just a personal uh, dilemma or disconnect. This is what's happening culturally with diasporas you know, in certain mm-hmm. areas and places. So I thought that was just phenomenal that you did that. For and, sure. then, and then kind of grabbing bits and pieces from a lot of these organizations and creating what is now um, Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So that, that's huge. Um, and that, yeah, I commend the work. So you create, you create this, this, this organization and, uh, you know, what were some of the, um, the challenges as far as launching it that you went through and lessons learned? Yeah, I mean, uh, it takes a team of people. I We have a bomb, bomb, bomb team of people that work really, really hard on this. I don't, you know what I mean? I'm not by myself at all. Uh, and then I think like, you just have to know what you don't know, which I just assume we don't know anything. And then everything comes out of that, right? So for us, it's like, it's part of the ethos of our organization is that you just don't know. So like ask questions and assume you don't know and then try to get an answer. And then we built that into our fellows. Like our fellows, I mean, you can ask any of our alumni right now. Like one of the first things we say is like, you go in country and the first thing you're gonna do is be quiet and listen. Like, cause you don't know what you're doing. Like you are a stranger, you are figuring it out. You're not any better. In fact, you, you just don't know what you're doing. So like, that's our kind of just cultural value is that. So I would say like teamwork and just building a bomb team. Um, and then listening, like you just assume, like just come in humble man. Cause you are doing nothing by thinking you're better than anyone. Um, and then I think the last thing is like, try to figure out what your impact is. I think that like, as a nonprofit, I think one of the big misses of a nonprofit is like people don't measure anything. And we do like um, pre, mid, and final fellowship assessments. Like we just are measuring all the time. We measure our partners like, are they happy? If they're not happy, 
<laughs> what are we going to fix, right? Like, we're constantly measuring, and that, like, also shows us our failures. Because it's like, we don't have another organization to look at exactly like ours. So we have to kind of figure things out. So we need to know when we're failing. Because if we're failing, we're failing a community. Right. We're not just failing. You know what I mean? Like, right. this is a community organization. It's for people. It's not for us. So, like, yeah, like, figure out. If you're failing, fail, and then figure it out. You know right. what I mean? Right. Yeah, so those three things. I guess, that does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. It does make sense. Um, so maybe tell me a little bit about some of the services that EDF offers. You've you managed to make some great connections with people on the ground. And for a lot of people that want to go to Ethiopia, that want to do, you know, work and do amazing things, it can be overwhelming because you don't know where to start. You don't know who mm -hmm. to connect with. But, you know, what did you do in order to kind of gain these partnerships? And, you know, did you have someone there already that was well-connected? Mm -hmm. Where did you even start to kind of bridge this gap? Yeah, I mean, the first year was just like emailing people I knew from like living there. And I was like, can you um, host a person to come and like hang out? Legit, the emails are actually kind of funny. Um, <laughs> but then after that, it was like word of mouth. So our first year cohort, shout out to the first cohort. Nice. Like they basically built the organization with us. Um, and they were just so good at what they did that there was like word of mouth and then it was second and then third and um and then after that we've had partners reach out to us so like social media like right. this year y'all our partners are so good every year our partners are great but like this year it's like it gets better and better in the sense of like the type of organizations you want to like you just kind of i like want to go and work there you know what i mean i won't I'm staying here, guys. <laughs> I'm actually at my office right now. I will not be quitting my job. Yeah. But, like, we are partners this year with ETA, which is, like, an, kind of an Uber for Ethiopia, right? Like, we're um, partners. We've been long-term partners with a, a hospital, St. Paul Hospital, which is, like, they've been such deep partners. And where they came from is, like, we were partners our first year with someone. When she moved jobs, she partnered with us in her new job. Right? So it's just like so awesome that she was like willing to go on with us. Um, economic development, agriculture, we're partners with ATA this year, which is so exciting. Um, if you guys don't know who they are, agriculture transformation agency. So it's like agriculture is so important. And this is our first year finally having a partner that's in agriculture, right? Um, yeah, so then it's been word of mouth and like a call, a call out, like, hey, if you guys want to partner, partner. But really, it's a testimony to our alumni, our fellows. Like, because they're in country for six months. Well, actually, they're usually in country for, like, years after. But they're in country, and they're talking about how they got there. And they're just, like, such, you know, smart and great and, you know, cultured people that people want to partner or understand what the program is. That's yeah. cool. So what do you kind of recommend people, diasporas, that wanting to go and connect in Ethiopia for the first time? And how do you even prepare a cohort that's ready to kind of embark on this, like, six-month journey? Yeah, so art, yes, good question. If you're going to go on your own, cool. Um, I would definitely reach out to our alumni either way because they're just like, you, sorry, guys, our poor alumni are like, no, don't. But not really <laughs> you. No, no, really, no. really do, really do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the way we prepare them is like, because ours is part of a program with, like, pillars, and it's a whole thing with the curriculum, right? The way we prepare them is, like, service, leadership, and creative storytelling are curriculum so before they even go they spend like a week or whatever in, in LA and get all these people to come and speak to them people from like 
Ethiopia Hoptonarium to talk about like her journey, right? Hey, talk so, about like, it for those that don't know. She's amazing. Yeah, Ethiopia Hoptonarium. Honestly, you should know her. If you're watching this, this is like important and you need to know the people that came before us and that are still around and that are killing it. Right. Uh, and she's the head of Motown Records. I'm sure she has a million other titles. So definitely look her up, you guys. But, and John Colbera, who's the head of the California Community Foundation. Like, we have all these people, like, come and talk to our fellows and just tell them about the world of, you know, social enterprise and business and development. Um, and then we have my, thank God for my mom, who's a psychologist, um, come in and talk about identity and acculturation and how hard that is going to be. Uh, and then creative storytelling, we have just LA is a bunch of creatives, so it's not hard to get a bunch of creative people in yeah. and talk about that. I would say the most important thing to recognize before you go to Ethiopia is to recognize it's going to be a journey of both like head, heart, and soul. You're gonna, even if you're going there to like just work, you're like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill it, I'm going to buy a house in Bole or wherever you want to be bougie, you know, but like you're not. It's going to be an identity crisis and you're going to face it and you might as well just like assume that that's going to happen. Um, and be okay with it and just kind of like ride the wave of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, how do you kind of prep someone to kind of be ready to experience that identity crisis? What, you know, <laughs> how do you handle navigating that, you know, those feelings and those thoughts that you're having of never fitting in to this country? Yeah. Never fitting in. That's so true. Um, I would say name it. Like if you can name it, it loses its power. A little bit so I think that a lot of the times when we're sitting in like we send five people a year right like it's like we are a very intimate group and then it's our staff and then whatever um, and so it's like if you can just say what is an identity like what does it mean to like acculturate what does it mean to like understand you know like that kind of stuff a lot of our fellows it's mostly an aha like they didn't even realize it was a thing like that it's there's all this body of research against it. We're not the only ones dealing with it. We're not the only ones that feel like Ethiopian and American and other, right? It's like everyone feels that way in some way or another if they're third culture, right? So naming it, um, being okay with it. And then for our fellows, they have four other people. So like when they, they go together, so like they get to kind of, I mean, I wish I had that. Honestly, I think that we kind of built something that I wish I had. I'm pretty sure I just, like, built what I wanted, but I didn't have. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they get, like, four other people. They live together. So they can come home and, like, you know, moan about whatever happened during the day and then process it and figure it out. Yeah. Now, that's huge. And I think that's also what I've been discovering, like, with my own cultural identity, you know, of never quite fitting it. Even when I was in Ethiopia, like, people embraced me. I enjoyed it. It was a great mm -hmm. experience. But there's always that, that piece where, like, you didn't grow up there, so there's certain disconnects. And then being in America, you're, you know, you're kind of living, but then there's a disconnect at school and in your career um, mm -hmm. just because you have a whole other side of you. You know, mm -hmm. a whole other cultural layer um, that, that makes you who you are. So mm -hmm. it's always trying to be able to kind of navigate those worlds. But one thing that I learned in the process was that um, you know, a lot of these common problems have led to a common purpose and a common connection with other people that feel the same things as me and have gone through the same experiences. So, you know, we would be, it'd be as simple as just us hanging out at the house and, you know, telling jokes and that are very relatable to another diaspora that they only they would get it. 
And then you start building, you know, for me, I was just started building on a lot of the, these things I found comical. And then sometimes these things I found very difficult to deal with. Mm -hmm. And I created a community within those experiences that created its own culture. Mm -hmm. You know, so, that, you know, that's the power of the third culture. We're pioneering living life and really uh, leaving behind a blueprint of mm -hmm. what this really means and what mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but as you were saying, like naming yeah. it is so important, you know? Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you want me to call this out, but like, I remember seeing the Little Nate videos. Are we like, <laughs> are we like not talking about that? Talk, are we got all videos now? Are we going to do that right now? No, no, no. I mean, like, I'm, let me call it out because here's the thing. It's like my little cousins showed them to me and they were like 14 or something. And they're like, look, this guy's like rapping and then randomly saying a mark words. And it's two like, you know, like rap beats. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I saw it and I'm like, what? Who is this guy? And then are we related? Because I, like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just so crazy. So I think that, yeah, I totally remember that. And then, and then I remember Facebook, there was a group called, you know, you're on the show when. And I remember reading that and being like, what? Like, I had no idea. For those of you that grew up with a bunch of Ethiopians around and you thought you were, like, normal, you are so lucky. Because for those of us that, like, grew up isolated, like, when they were like, you know you're on the you have to order pizza for your parents because no one can understand their accent. Or, like, you know you're on the um, you know, you smell like shin cords. And I'm like, how do you know what shin cords is? <laughs> like, I had no idea that there was, like, a world of people that – we're struggling with some of those things, you know? And then I remember seeing that and being like, wow, there's way more of us. And, and now everyone knows, right? Thank God for social media. Um, yeah, so I mean, Little Nate, if you want to ever bring that back, I'm going to be like 100% about it. Uh, and I'll uh, support you. <laughs> Don't tempt me now. I got some hits and this laptop might release it. Now, um, now those were good experiences. Those were fun. Uh, it was just me really just trying to express um, you know, the dual identity and culture that I have. I just didn't know what I was doing. I, I just knew that I had these experiences yeah. and creativity and an outlet. And yeah. actually what's, what's interesting about those videos, I realized, and I, I don't know, I think I, I'm just being very honest, I'm not vulnerable. I never felt like valued. I don't know if that's even the right word. Mm. So like, um, you know, making those videos and seeing people interested in watching what and what what I had to say or listening to what I had to say and thought there was value there it really got me to understand that wow there's value in who I am my identity my culture my experiences mm -hmm. and from there it really just built into me just continuously being curious about what I can be able to provide mm -hmm. as far as value and of substance mm -hmm. so those experiences though you know it was kind of fun just doing you know it all served an overall purpose and like my development and self-awareness, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for myself and just the community, the global community that exists. Mm -hmm. um, and I also remember being in South Dakota one time and uh, people actually knew like people within my family and my friends. And I was visiting them for like a screening and they were like, yeah, how is Johnny B doing? I'm like, you know, Johnny B, my best friend, how, how? and it's almost like people grow up with you. And it's like yeah. this surreal feeling. Like yeah. you don't think anybody's watching, right? You just yeah. live your life and you share your experiences yeah. and you think it's the end, you know, and you yeah. move on. But yeah. then you have no idea the mm -hmm. impact that you have on somebody else's life that may be in South Dakota or in Ethiopia or in Germany or London, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. I don't think like that. I think mm -hmm. about what's right here, what's right now. Yeah. And, you know, so 
it's it's just it's a powerful thing you know that we just don't really pay attention to that much yeah well and here i mean here's the thing is like you are kind of ahead of it that's the thing is like that's what happens you don't feel valued when you're ahead of something right. and so like if yeah, I mean, like, look at Buna times are killing it, right? Like, and we all follow them, and we all laugh, and then we all send each other those memes. And at the end of the day, I think that, like, marketing, I mean, I work in a marketing agency now, and what we just said today is, like, marketing is sharing human experiences and then amplifying it, right? So it's, like, you making those videos, it obviously connected to a bunch of people. And I, my, my, the same little cousin that showed me her first video, when we came to Ethiopia, because she was, like, my... Um, bridesmaid when I got married she was like is that Nate from little Nate and <laughs> I was dead because like we were gonna have lunch or something and I was like no that's just Nate <laughs> just like, that's just Nate you know and Nate. I'm like I love that you're remembering something from that long ago and it's bringing up a feeling in her of like more like aspirational you know what I mean and like how many people can we really say that about that look like us that talk like us that can make fun of our parents like us and also love on our parents like that you know what I mean so yeah you probably weren't valued in that space but I think that there is so much unintentional value that we don't see um I know I mean a lot of our alumni will like email me about just random things they've heard and we get and Fortunately, unfortunately, we get a ton of emails from people that want to go back to Ethiopia that can't do our program. And I like wish I could connect all of them. Um, we don't have the bandwidth, honestly, and we don't, we're not set up for it. But it just reminds me that there's still a lot of people in like random places, you know, trying to figure it out. Right. And content and unbiased like content and social media and like this way of like reaching each other is like it's democratizing a voice. Right? Like, all of a sudden, we all have access to this voice. Right. Uh, I kind of, like, love that. Yeah, that's amazing. What are some of, like, uh, success stories of alumni that you have? Um, any specific people or experiences that you're like, wow, this was impactful for this individual? Yeah. Well, if I call out one, I'm going to have to call out all of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have a mom. Um, I would just say, like, I think successful, like, we just, we have some fellows that are, like, working just, really bomb jobs when they come back. We also have a lot of people that stayed in Ethiopia. Really? I think that, like, that wasn't our success metric whatsoever, but, like, the six months goes up, and then they stay for another six months or another year, another year and a half. And that says a lot. One, it says a lot about how we prepared them, thank goodness, for a good program. But really, it says a lot about that type of person that's willing to stay in country and wanting to and, you know, like, feeling good about it and killing it, you know? Um successful people are in grad school now and hey, like, you nice. are if you're comparing to their undergrad from their grad school like they're definitely stepping up into like more elite schools which is like what Ethiopian parents want right so that's yeah. great I mean I just want them to be like in a good place for themselves but like well their parents are happy too which makes us happy um I, I mean I think success stories like you can Honestly, like for uh, for me personally, so let me just say something personal. Not even not speaking as a man. For me personally, uh, I see our success or my success is like being able to watch someone grow and transform in whatever way it is, like anything. You know what I mean? And like all of our alumni, I mean like all of them, every single one of them. You, they've just transformed in one way or another. And it's not only the program, like it's our selection process helps us get to the right people, but the program helps too, but they also just have it in them. Like I think essentially like people just have it in them. Right. That's, 
it is what it is. Like, we're not doing anything miraculous. Like, these people are already bosses. And you're, like, they're just realizing it and we get to watch it, which I kind of consider it an honor, honestly. Yeah. yeah. No, that's a beautiful seat to be in, to kind of witness someone's transformation experience and just playing a role within that, within itself, is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. um, so you talked about the selection process. Um, what goes into the selection process? How do you identify people that, you know, are, could be qualified to kind of take this six-month trip? What are, what are some of the data points you look at or just people in general? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you're asking about this because people ask and then they get surprised. First of all, I'm not on the selection committee. Wow. Throwing that out there because it's too hard because people know everyone. Um, so this is what we do. We have blind selection process. For real, y'all should write this down. Which means before we look at the application, we have someone outside of which, like we had an intern a while ago that did this, that would black out everything on the application that's an identifying marker. So our names, for example, ethnicity could be an identifying marker of that. So even your name, like certain things that would create a bias, we don't see it on the first round. So just throwing that out there, guys. What, what about being Ethiopian? Well, you have to be Ethiopian in one parent or the other. Yeah. So, but like I'm saying, there's other things about, y'all know there are other things that can create bias, like your religion, you're this, you're that. And that's like the best part about it is because we block it out, can't see it. Our selection committee are Ethiopians and Americans, like white Americans and Ethiopians, Ethiopians from Ethiopia and Ethiopian diaspora. And they're all different professions, like doctors, engineers, but also creative people. And they look through the, power, or the applications first, then they narrow it down then you get interviewed. Um, and then that's when I meet you is I get like one-on-one -on -one interviews with the final round and that's, it's 10 minutes. And it's literally for me just to know who people are talking about when they start arguing during the selection process. Cause like, I at least want to know who they are and I read all the applications, but right. um, so it's just to say, it's like, it's, it's actually a super fair process, which is awesome. And we can stand behind it. And that's why when we have like cohorts of all females, we're like, look, you know, this isn't like we weren't picking females. It just so happened. Um, and that's, yeah. So that's the really cool part. And then at the end of the day, the selection committee gets on the call. We're on the call too. And then they negotiate. They, we've had people become fellows because of one selection committee person fighting hard for them. Wow. So it is interesting. Yeah. How they get down. Um, yeah. So then they like, they, they argue for the people, then they get it to the, five and then two alternatives and then we do partnership so the thing that will be different this year for those of you that are applying and last year was different is you actually will meet partners so you'll be interviewed by partners some partners want to meet people That's, so, that so the partners that. in ethiopia mm -hmm. they're interviewing the potential yeah wow yeah we did that last year and we're doing that this year too because they're requesting it and they're we want you to feel good about them and they want to feel good about and so it's a little bit of a logistical nightmare, but we make it work and it kind of gives you a good sense too, like what kind of boss am I gonna like report to? Um, and just cause someone just asked like, why only Ethiopians? So like, look, this is, we get this, why not Kenya? Why not all of Africa, right? And I totally get that. 
here's the thing is like, I am very aware of what we know and what we don't know. And right now our team knows Ethiopia. We have partners in Ethiopia. We know the Ethiopian people, right? So I'm not going to go to Kenya and do this because I'm not the right person to do it. But yeah, we have a lot of diaspora that reach out to us and ask for our curriculum, Senegalese diaspora or whatever. And we'll help with the curriculum. We'll help build the organization. But I'm not that right person to do that. Um, and another reason why Ethiopian and, and you know, Ethiopian, American, Ethiopian, Eritrean, whatever, and America is because there's enough of us here that need this experience. And we're a nonprofit, so we can't scale up like crazy. So if I'm going to serve a population, like, let me get it right here first. And then, like, let me intentionally scale up. So, like, we always think about going global. Like, a lot of people from London have emailed so much, and Australia is the other country. And we want to go global, like, we get it, we need to, but is there a better method than us just thinking it should be about us? Because Australian Ethiopians have a different culture than American Ethiopians. Yeah. So like, should we find a team there? Do you know what I mean? So I think at the end of the day, it's like, we're just being real, you know? Yeah, no, I love it. I, lo I think that's, that's, a, that's a sign of a healthy organization to be able to know what you know and what you don't know and being yeah. like faithful and true to it and yeah. giving yourself room to grow and to say, hey, I love the idea, but we're not there yet, you know? And, and yeah. being able to be open and honest. So I, I, I love that. And, I and we I, might not be the right ones either. Yeah, it may not be the but right ones. You can do everything. You can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. So true, so true. So that's good. Um, so I wanted also to ask, so for someone that may be watching this right now and wants to become a 2019 fellow, mm -hmm. um, what does that process look like? I know applications um, is around the corner to be submitted. But what does that process look like? Yeah, so you have like not that much time left. You have three or four days left. Or my team's gonna kill me for not knowing the exact days you have left. Um, it's but the 22nd, right? 22nd, yes. So I don't know what day it is right now. What day is it? It's the 18th, so. Okay, like I said, I landed, I swear I landed like 12 hours ago. <laughs> um, so yeah, the 22nd, apply online. You can read all the partnership descriptions. You can reach out to us if you have any questions. You can, yeah, I would, Y'all are always hella late. We have the most applications the night before they're due. At like our applications are due at eleven fifty nine, and I can I say shit? <laughs> well, it just happened. So okay, we go. so I shit you not. Like <laughs> we will get applications at eleven fifty eight, and you know who you are, and one and two of you have actually become fellows. So you know who you are, and you're watching this as a little bit. Point them out. Point them out. Yeah, like, don't do that. Why? Yeah. Why do that? Because you have to, like, <laughs> why? Yeah. Oh, wait, like, even though I'm not on selection committee, I'm judging you. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you could become a fellow because no one knows. So, you know, whatever. So, I would apply at least 12 hours ahead of time, you guys. You never know what happens when you turn in the application. You never know what will happen. You just submit. And we're not that gracious with that kind of stuff because everybody else was able to turn it in on time. So it's not really fair. Um, so at least before 11.59 Pacific Standard Time on that day, um, and I would, like, my hint to you that I would only say here is, like, the essay questions actually matter a lot. Because the select selection committee that are reading them, they're coming from like a perspective of like, we just want, you know, the best for this program. And they're very like that. So like some of the essay questions that you think that you're just kind of BSing, I wouldn't. I would put some thought into it. Um, and they just kind of challenge yourself to be vulnerable. Vulnerable, like vulnerability always comes across in the application. I've noticed that like, even when I'm reading it, like if I feel like you are a 
again, I don't get to choose, but like if I feel like I can connect with you in the application, I've seen those people kind of like rise to the top. Right. Yeah. Right. That's good. So um, I want to make sure I give anyone that's watching an opportunity to ask questions. So yeah, can... I think our team's actually telling them how to email. Okay. Yeah. So um, yeah, feel free to reach out. Right now it says please email. Yeah. So this is yeah the email as you can see on the screen. Info at Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship dot com. Is that what that it is? Dot org? Dot org? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, my eyes are bad right now. And then um, what about personally for you? Like, how can people get in contact with you directly? Or is that not the move? <laughs> uh, I wish that wasn't the move. Just joking. So you, yes, Canadians are allowed. Sorry, I can say it. I'm just going to answer. Canadians are allowed. Um, yeah. You can email me, or literally it's my first name, at ethiopian.diasporafellowship.org, just like our website, right? You can email me there. You can, don't Facebook message me because I'll never see it. Don't Instagram DM me. I'll never see it. Then you'll be mad at me. and It's not a good start to our relationship. So just email me. Um, and I really do like reaching out and like meeting people and hanging out. And like, if it's just to like, say like, I can't apply this year, but I want to be involved, email me. And then we'll like figure out a way or we'll connect you to people because this is ultimately about like a bigger conversation. This is right. not just about our program. Our program is like one thing. Yeah. So like this is, you know, this is about a bigger conversation. Like what Nate's doing, what Abishan Networks is doing. Shout out to Abishan Networks for Maylot. You know, like what all these other people are doing in this space. We want you to be connected to that, you know. So, yeah, you can email me. Awesome. And then be, be forgiving if it takes me a while to get that. Yeah, and you said Canadians are able to make, okay, okay, if you're from Canada. Canadians, we haven't had any Canadian yet, so please apply. All right. want, we want you, yeah, we definitely want you. And also shout out to Inmihid, which is a Canadian organization that right. sends FANA, which sends high school kids for two weeks. So definitely, they're doing big things there too. They are, I actually got introduced to them. They actually were the first screening of the Diaspora Journal. Uh, yeah. when were, and they hosted this film screening and we did a fundraiser for them for their cohort. So yeah, yeah, amazing group of women. Like, yeah, I was, I was shocked. I was blown away. So. Dude, like Fana is the epitome of what collaboration looks like. Like she reached out after she had started and was like, Hey, I saw that you guys are doing this. Let's talk. And we talked on the phone. I know exactly where I was when I talked to her. I'm like, Oh my God, can I be best friends? Well, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's in Ethiopia right now. And like, we have never met in person, but we yeah. email each other and it's like the support network. Uh, so yeah, like I love, I love, love, love this generation for that collaborative spirit. Like we're not competing. We're collaborating in this space. Right. Right. And that's a huge point to make. So if there's anybody that wants to be able to do anything in Ethiopia or just anywhere in general, and you find somebody that's doing similar work, please reach out. We're not yeah. in competition. We're collaborating. So I think that's a huge thing within our community. We really need to uh, speak more about, you know, the openness for information, the access to resources, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, we all have blueprints, you know, we just have to be able to kind of share it and ask, you know, freely. Mm -hmm. So that's huge. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, I want to say thank you for this amazing conversation. Um, I appreciate you. And we talk all the time. I know we talk a lot of time about the idea of like pioneering mm -hmm. and how alone it may feel sometimes. So I definitely mm -hmm. understand how that can be a burden, but it's amazing to have people like you and your team 
that are doing great work and building people and relationships and bridging the gap within Ethiopia because honestly that's not something we had freely at you know that I found accessible for myself growing up so uh, appreciate the work continue it and uh, we'll definitely stay in yeah. touch yeah so I would just say like shout out to this bomb team that I have honestly you guys like Salome Masaras Beatty Aiden like I just work with a group of I mean men and women but like women that are just so about collaboration and like I'm only here as like the face for this moment like at, but like honestly like Salome and Masi have been there from the jump Aiden and Beatty are our alumni that came back and are like helping us so like I just yeah, honestly, like this is, it really is about collaboration. And like, we will only succeed if all of us are succeeding, like truly, right? So yeah, just definitely email us if you have any ideas. And if you're like trying to start something, email us. Like I like starting stuff. I like having those brainstorms. And that's how Nate and I know each other. It's like, we literally will just brainstorm and be like, what if we did this? <laughs> <laughs> You're glad that like not all of our ideas come to life, but, yeah. um, but like it's kind of just cool hanging out with a bunch of dreamers. So I just, yeah, I would just say keep dreaming because it will happen. It will like eventually happen. Definitely. Thank you. I love dreaming with you. We'll have a lot more things to accomplish. So I'm looking forward to the future as well. Thanks, Nate. I really appreciate you. Yeah. All right. Well, have a good night, everyone uh, that's been tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to this conversation. Uh, once again, I hope that you guys are empowered with information and yeah. opportunities. And uh, feel free to reach out to me or Radiant or Ethiopian Diaspora Fellowship if you have any other questions or are looking to build something that may be significant for the culture and community. We are here. Uh, we are servicing anyone that's in need. So um, we do appreciate you guys for taking your time and, and listening to this conversation. And uh, yeah, so, so reach out to us if you need anything. And uh, we love, we support you guys, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. This concludes our episode of Africa and Us. Thank you for listening. Be sure to share the episode and follow the journey on social media with me at Nate Araya. Be encouraged.